Good morning, afternoon, evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Mental Not Mental Podcast. I hope this show finds you in good health and even better spirits. So, so far on our journey, we've talked about what it's like being the only black. Um, and I titled that episode The Only Black because you can insert, you know, anything that fits the bill there. Um, and we've also talked about what it's like to lose your power, feeling helpless and and really disgusted. Um, the point of this character study is not to be a, woe is me, my life sucked, blah, 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 blah. It's an opportunity for not only you, the listener, to learn something about me and my culture, but also as an auditorial journal to myself. And I don't even know if that's the right way to say that. Um, but these five episodes represent who... I am now and how I got here, but it's not the end of my growth by any means. The reason I'm able and capable and even willing to share my growth so far is because although 26 years is not a lot of time on this earth, a great amount has happened to me during that time. So today, I want to focus on the social aspect of what it's like growing up and being Marquise, but more importantly, where one of in my opinion, my best qualities comes from, and that is respect. So, let's do it. So, if I could sum up my adolescence in one freeze, it'd be fish out of water. Since 2005, it's been a collection of first-time situations and how do I handle them as a black kid and what is the best response I can give so that all parties involved will see that not all black people are insert stereotype here. I would say it began at the Williams School when I started middle school. Now, I could speak about the Williams School for days. Like, I absolutely loved that school. It's still my favorite school I've attended to this day. Uh, the teachers, my friends, some who I still have today, uh, the accomplishments, and to think that that Marquise was only operating at 50-60% is kind of like, it's really comforting. <laughs> like um, From, let's say, 2005 to 2008, I was only 50 to 60% comfortable with the person that I was, which, I mean, it's okay, right? That's what it means to grow up. You're learning to be comfortable in your own skin, what you like, what you don't like. But what do you do if that skin also represents 48 million other people? And anything you say or do will be seen to represent all of those people. Now, for me, this fish-out-of-water concept rang true because this is where... I really felt I had to adjust who I was, or better yet, who I was becoming. See, having to adjust your mannerisms, how you speak, what you wear, um, how you wear your natural hair, how you walk, like every little thing that you can think of, you have to change just to make other people around you comfortable. Yeah, that's that's gonna do a lot to, to your mental state as a kid. Um, but let me say this though. The adjustments that I made back then and that I still make today are not a malicious response to me disliking white people. It's not, that's not what it is at all. It's just 
a response to hopefully make not just white people, but people around me in general comfortable being around me. You know, I could care less whether you thought my hair was nappy or I laughed like a hyena or whatever. As long as I made you comfortable when you were around me, then mission accomplished. Um, nowadays, <laughs> if I can make you feel comfortable while I'm around, while you're around me, that's less mission accomplished and it's more of like a survival <laughs> tactic because, you know, I don't want to die. But here's where I'm going to stop speaking in generalizations and, and, and be a little bit more specific. I'd say, I did say this episode was going to be a social study. So to put it simply, let's hop right into it. Growing up, I was girl crazy. Uh, I still am to an extent, but we're going to touch on the the why of that towards the end of the show. Um, but I can count on one hand the number of guy friends that I've had throughout the years that have like truly impacted me as far as my upbringing. On the contrary, though, I would need octopus tentacles using the suction cups as digits to accurately account for the number of women I've had impact my life, from family to friends to relationships. But I say that to say this. The memories that burn red hot in my mind aren't memories I've made, but instead lessons I've learned. And many of those lessons come from relationships that I've been in. And when I really started thinking about this, I, I'd say I kind of put this all together about three years ago. Um, so a quick little sidebar <laughs> before I get into the why, okay? I know that what I'm about to say is completely unnecessary. You know, this little this little sidebar is completely unnecessary. Um, but knowing that I've said it and that it's out there in the world and it's not just in my head or, you know, in my secret little journal that I keep under my bed or something like that will hopefully bring closure to, you know, my mind and the people in, in involved. But, like, they're not probably going to listen to this ever, so that doesn't really matter. So... Basically, what I'm saying is this sidebar is a selfish endeavor for me to vent my feelings and get closure on things that still affect me from the past to this day. Got it? Cool. Great. Done. So basically, I wrote just quick little things that I've learned from the people that I felt impacted my life in the love department growing up that have changed me then, helped me grow, and helped me become who I am now. So, to my first love... I say this, we met at the dawn of our adolescence, experiencing love for the first time. The journey was wonderful and at times magical. And although times changed and decisions were made, I will always hold what we have in high regard because it taught me that love is not a momentary emotion, but one to be cared for like plants in a garden. Thank you for teaching me that love is not temporary. To my most painful love, I say this. I had never felt more at home than when I was with you and your family. We grew so much over the years, we almost became inseparable. The naysayers and judgments passed did nothing to silence our hearts. As we continued to grow together, we also began to grow apart. Though attempts were made to rekindle, it was best to let the flames of love burn out. Thank you for teaching me that love is change. To the love that was too soon, we fell hard and we fell fast. 
only allowing one thing to guide us, the love that we have for one another. Soulmates is a word that often comes to mind, but perhaps even that wasn't strong enough. I allowed those around me to dictate my actions and ultimately bring the end to us. Thank you for showing me that love is intoxicating. To the love I hurt the most, I say this. You taught me that even in love, there's a difference between right and wrong. Love may be blind, but it's not stupid. And only after our time together did I learn this lesson. I'm sure this message will never touch your ears, but if it does, please hear this. I am sorry for the boy that you once knew. Misguided by false ideas and fantasies, the pain I cause to this day remains unmatched. I am regretful and remorseful. Thank you for teaching me that love has its limits. To the love that almost was, I say this. You were there for me through it all. Every heartache I had, you were my shoulder to cry on. Every moment of doubt I had in myself, you were my biggest cheerleader. Every life-altering event that changed who I was forever, you were there to remind me that I was not alone. Our friendship began during a time of change for both of us. So it was truly poetic that it would end in the same way it started. Thank you for teaching me that love is timeless. To my wife, I say this, I love you. Thank you for putting up with me. Thank you for being understanding. Thank you for loving me. And thank you for showing me that love is unconditional. So I send out all of these deep heart confessions and thank yous because I feel like each one of those relationships really taught me a big thing about, you know, love in general, but about myself, um, which is, as I keep saying in this show, just really helped me become who I am now. Now to the big why, you know, perhaps it's because of all those lessons I've acquired over the years, but I'm more comfortable around women and it didn't really resonate with me um, until a few years ago. I started to think about it. Like, why? Why is that? Why? Why am I more comfortable around women? Why am I more comfortable around women? You know, and I do that a lot, actually. I, I talk to myself. Um, it's healthy. You should, you should try it sometime. But, you know, I do a lot of deep thinking because, I don't know, maybe I'm Socrates reincarnated. Who knows? Um, but when I was thinking about this, I was, you know, going through the mental Rolodex, if you will, trying to think and discover why this was. You know, it couldn't have just been because um, my biological father wasn't around and, you know, my mom raised me on her own and stuff like that. It, it, could, it had to be more than that is what I was trying to find on my self-discovery. And honestly, I think I figured it out. I think I figured it out. The reason I gravitate towards women, either being in a relationship or having them as friends, is because growing up, I only ever wanted one thing. Proof that my mama, my biological mother, actually cares.
See, in my mind, women are these incredible beings having to bring everyone into this world and then raise us and teach us right from wrong, nurture us, educate, remind us that they're there for us. And I understood this as a kid growing up. Um, maybe it's human nature or maybe it's because I'm connected to the universe on a different level. But I understood this to be the one universal truth that you can always trust your mother. So what happens the one day you can't, you know? What, what, what happens when the person you've trusted your whole life reverts to making selfish, uh, insensitive, and just plain spiteful decisions that make you question both why she would do the things that she does, but also how to fix her, right? Because, I mean, that's a generalization uh, for men, right? That's a quality we possess. We, we want to fix things, right? If something is wrong, we want to fix it. We want to see tangible results knowing that our input was not only wanted, but helpful and beneficial. So my mom and I have been through a roller coaster would be an understatement. Uh, let's say we've been skydiving without a parachute and we're waiting to see if the ground is soft, like a cornfield of cotton candy, or if it's full of stakes that have grown sharp over the years from hurtful words, unrecognizable actions, and a mistrust that's never really spoken of, but it just kind of lingers in the air. So... <laughs> I'll share a story that remains to this day the pinnacle of my anger. It's the day, well, I'll give you the conclusion at the end. So, for those of you who don't know, um, I have one full brother, like one, like same mother and same father, and then I have two half siblings, half sister and half brother. I never see them as that, but uh, that's kind of important to some people, so I just figured I'd say that. But, me and my sister are very, very close. Um, and the love I have for my sister and my brother is, I mean, it, it, it just goes unmatched. Now, I've told my mama to her face several times that the decisions that I made growing up were always and still remain for the best interest of my little brother and sister. Because I felt like at times she was not capable of making hard decisions for the good of other people. The story I'm about to share is one of those times. So one thing you need to know about my sister is that she's very strong-willed and she don't take shit from nobody, including our mother. So I can't tell you the year. Um, I was a little bit older though. Um, I can't remember the year, but my sister reached out to me and said, hey, I cannot live with Ma anymore. Can you help me uh, to go and live back with our aunt. And I said, you ask and you shall receive. I got you, okay? Now, this would be one of the biggest favors she's ever asked me, that little that I know, because it involved going to court and testifying and talking to the judge and yada, 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 right? So, she wanted me to, you know, help her go back and live with her aunt. And, and I saw no problem with it because I, I obviously I know our family. I knew them both. And I objectively, I knew who the better caretaker was. So that was not a question or doubt in my mind. 
So nervous would not be the word that I would use to describe how I felt on that day. It was more like someone had taken the driver's seat to my body and my will, but I was consciously aware of it. Like I may have even let it happen because I knew that the Williams School Marquise wouldn't be able to handle, in my mind at the time, a man's job. And this definitely seemed like a more mature adult man's job. So when it finally came for me to give my testimony to the judge, right, we go to court and I actually ran into my mom prior to us going into the courtroom. You know, uh, my mom was there, my aunt was there. And she was like, hey, baby, what are you doing here? You know, and I, I didn't want to see her anger, you know. So I was like, oh, no, you know, I'm just here supporting, you know. She was like, oh, well, thank you. Thank you for being here. But I didn't tell her that I was there to testify against her. So in her mind, she had no idea why I was there. So we go into the court courtroom, and the time finally comes for me to give my testimony to the judge. And, and it went something like this. Your Honor, I love my mother. She's a great mother, and she'll do anything she can to provide and make sure that you're okay. But not all the time. And there are times where living with her is hard, and I understand why my sister doesn't want to live there any longer. Now, although my mother is great, I feel it would be best if my sister went to live with my aunt so she actually has opportunities for the future. Now, let me ask you this. Have you ever been talking to someone in a conversation? Not, not even necessarily in a conversation, but you just you feel like you can feel someone staring at you, like just staring a hole into your face. Well, that's what I felt like all of a sudden in that moment. I felt an intense heat on my face. You can call it nerves. You can call it sweat. You can call it my body's response to a stressful situation. Nevertheless, I knew what it was and I knew who it was. See, my mama has metaphorically burned a hole in the side of my face many times with that stare, and she did it again today. Or, not today, that day. But, instead of the usual beating that would ensue when I was a kid, um, she first raised her hand and she said, Your Honor, is it okay for me to leave? You seem to have made your decision. And the judge was actually kind of a little taken back by that at first, but, you know, like, well, yeah, I guess, yeah, you're finished. I don't need anything else from you, so you can go. And once that permission was granted, she calmly and swiftly found the exit. Everything inside my body was screaming at me. I had just betrayed my own mama. Now, this, like, there is a, um, I don't even know if you call it a stereotype, like a thing that black people say in, that really gets under our skin is talking back, right? You know, and me being a smart ass as a kid, it was like, are you talking back? It was like, yeah, but if I'm not talking back, how am I supposed to respond to you? Like, don't, 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 advice, don't, don't say that. But talking back is like a really big thing. Um, so I felt like this was the pinnacle of, of a talking back because I had outright spoken against her, you know, and I had to find her. You know, I had to tell her I was sorry. I had to tell her and try to explain, you know, that I was doing what was best for my sister and, and not out of spite for her and blah, blah, blah. So when the judge dismissed us, I raced out of the courtroom, down the elevator, across the, 
uh, out of the building, across the street, and then, you know, eventually I found her. And when I caught up to her, it was just word vomit, you know, apologies and, 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 and sorrow and things like that. But <laughs> that quickly transformed into anger and resentment and maybe a pinch of hatred. Um, the war of words escalated and when these words were spoken is when everything changed. My mother was millimeters away from our nose touching. She was angry. I was angry. And she said, quote, I don't know who you are anymore. You're no son of mine. Get out of my goddamn face. End quote. Now, the, I mean, the millisecond, the, the very moment I heard those words, my world was just shattered. It's, it's as if time had suddenly slowed to a crawl and I could feel my emotions suspended in the air like photographs hanging in a dark room. And the reason I recognize the feeling so well is because it's happened to me before. Specifically, it's happened three times in my life, actually, at least that I can recall. Having the world around you come to an almost complete stop, it just took so much out of me emotionally and physically that in that moment, I was no longer the driver. I was... I was a bystander and I was watching and waiting and just wondering, one, what the hell happened, but two, what was gonna happen next? When those words were spoken, I gathered every fiber of muscle in my body. And though my mind tried to resist, my body overpowered that and I pushed my mom so hard, she went flying. I mean, no exaggeration. Her feet left the ground. She went flying. She went so far back, she lost her balance, and then within seconds, she was on the ground looking up at me like I was a supervillain. This was the one and only time that I put my hands on a woman, and that woman turned out to be my mom. Nothing else was said, from me at least in this moment, but my mama stood up and proceeded to curse some more and <sighs> maybe it's the fact that I was filled to the brim with rage or maybe it's my body's way of trying to help me heal through this particular memory, but I cannot tell you what my mama said. I, it was like, trying to pick a voice out of a crowd of a hundred people. It was just, it was just noise. It was like, it was as if every negative thing I ever thought about myself was all screaming at me all at once inside my head. And this onslaught of inner destruction left me frozen. And when I finally came to my mom was long gone. Like she had already left the conversation. She was walking away. But this time I didn't run after her. And after that day, we went more than a year without speaking. No phone calls, no visits, no nothing. 
Um, but eventually, my mom would call me and we'd talk about it and work things out. But ever since then, our relationship has never really been the same. So I tell you this because we don't become the people that we're meant to be without making poor decisions along the way. The day I put my hands on the woman who brought me into this world was the day I felt the most disappointed and just horrified with myself. And after years of reflecting on that, I will always claim to this day that that incident is the day I no longer wanted to see or, or, or treat women as means to an end, whether sexually or emotionally. I wanted to appreciate them. I wanted to understand them. I wanted to comfort them. And I wanted to provide in a way that made me feel like I was, that made me feel like I was trying to make things up for what I did to my mama. Those close to me today will agree when I tell you that I hold the women in my life in a very high regard. Um, and maybe that is because I'm trying to make up for, for what I did in the past, but I don't think so. Not so much anymore. Maybe initially it was sort of a repentance kind of thing, you know, but it was through that repentance that that became a character quality versus actions that I I took in response to a situation. So to to say it a little bit clearer and a little bit better, I'll say it like this. After the incident with my mom, I began to see people, treat people, particularly women, in such a fashion to where there was no doubt in their mind that I appreciated them on a deeper level. Initially it was for the reason of me just feeling bad for what I did. And I would continue to do it and I'd continue to do it, relationships, friends, family even. And eventually me trying to repent or me trying to make up for what I've done led to those actions becoming a quality in me it got to the point where I was no longer doing it because I felt bad for what I did to my mom. I was doing it because it was a part of who I was. It was the right thing to do. You know, you shouldn't do things for people because you know or feel or think that you're going to get a response of appreciation, of gratitude, of thankfulness. You do it because it's right, you know? You do it because everyone deserves to be treated in a way where they feel appreciated. And it wasn't until a few years ago, after I did a little bit of self-reflection, that I discovered this quality in me. The respect I have for all women is universal. You know, it's not just black women. It's not just Asian women. It's not just white women. It's, it's, it's women in general. Because here's the thing. Apply this concept that I've learned to everyone. You know, not just women. You know, you don't just treat such and such in high regard because they are a blank. You don't treat such and such in high regard because they are blank. And if you do follow that model, 
do it this way. I treat such and such with such appreciation and put them in such high regard because they are a human being. Looking back on this situation and this lesson learned in particular, the lessons I've learned from the relationships I've been in, and really just looking back at my time at the Williams School and the Norfolk Academy, the people I've heard, the poor decisions I've made, people will often say that they wouldn't change anything. You know, the decisions I've made and the things I've lived through have made me into the person that I am today. And instinctually, I want to agree with that. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but I like to deep dive on the show. Because for me, mental not mental is more than just surface level shit. We're diving deep. Which is scary because I don't know how to scuba dive. But here's why I can't agree with that train of thought. After sitting down and really asking myself, what would I change about the past? If I were able to project myself into the astral plane, go back in time and guide my physical self through the world, what would I tell him? Well, I'll tell you this. I'll tell myself three things. And I know that sounds cliche, just three things, but my memory was terrible back then and it's still not the greatest now, although it's gotten better. So we're just going to keep it at three because otherwise I'm going to start trying to remember and I'm going to get lost. So if I could tell myself three things, this is what I tell myself. Number one, do not fear pain. It means you're either growing or you're learning, and that's okay. Number two, do not be afraid to ask. A silent soul will go unnourished. And number three, don't be afraid of love. To give it or receive it, both are a gift. From the Williams School and the relationships I've made there, to Norfolk Academy, the relationships I've made there, Randolph-Macon, relationships I've made there, United States Navy, ECPI, my in-laws, my close friends who are considered like family to me. From the beginning until now, there is no doubt in my mind that I am where I'm supposed to be right now. Before I mentioned having to change my mannerisms in order to fit in and make other people around me comfortable. But what I've learned through what I've learned is that you shouldn't have to do that. If you give and show your authentic self to people and they don't accept it, then that's their loss. You shouldn't have to change who you are to make other people comfortable with who they are. It's not your job. I guarantee you, we were not brought into this world to try and make everyone comfortable. But we were here to live, to make mistakes, to learn, to grow, with all of those things ultimately making you into the best version of yourself that you could possibly be. And that's what I've learned in my social upbringing. And you'll notice that a lot of this 
really isn't about being black. And that's what I love about myself. While sure, a lot of my upbringing has to do with me being black, especially because I was adopted and brought into a different world, you know. But it doesn't necessarily define me, you know. I didn't get to where I am now because I am black. I don't think anyone gets to where they are because they are insert a race. I think people get to where they are because of the qualities that they possess and the things that they learn. And we take these tidbits and things that we learn along the way, we absorb them, we dissect them, we try and understand them the best way that we can. And then that's what ultimately makes us into the people that we are. And with all of that being said, I think that's going to do it for me today. Um, thank you. I mean, thank you for, for listening. Thank you for being here. Um, I mean, right now I'm just talking into a microphone. So technically I'm not really talking to anyone. This is kind of me venting to myself until I put it up on the internet. But when you do listen, thank you for listening. Um, thank you for listening. Now to go over some housekeeping, cause you guys know I love that. I like keeping you updated. Um, this show will go up on Wednesday on time, of course. However, the following Wednesday, which will be dramatic pause to pull up your calendar, July 22nd. I'm not going to be here. Um, I'm going to be traveling for work. And unfortunately, this travel does not have any means of communication whatsoever. So I'm going to do my best to record a quick show for you all before I leave. However, if I run out of time because I have a poop ton of things to do, um, know that the show that goes up on the 22nd will be very lighthearted. It will be quick. Maybe I won't say, no, 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 I'm, I'll make it lighthearted. I'll make it lighthearted because these serious ones, man, where I got to sit and brainstorm, like, I don't know, I don't think you guys know how many hours goes into me sitting and thinking and responding to myself. So... <laughs> It takes a lot of time, but I enjoy it. So basically what I'm saying is the show for the 22nd might be a little bit shorter or it might not even be there at all, or there might just be a short message. I don't know. We'll see how much time I have left in the day, which seems to be very, very little. But nevertheless, I appreciate you listening. I appreciate you making it this far. If you want to stay up to date on everything that I am doing in regards to the show, the website, Anchor fm slash mental not mental podcast the facebook page twitter that's where you can find all of those things this has been fun this has been a fun episode to record i like doing self-reflections because well i don't know maybe i'm secretly conceited and like talking about myself <laughs> okay <laughs> i'm gonna go this this has been way too long of an outro but uh i will talk to you guys sooner rather than later so yeah that's all i got bye